All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 151 of the DFO Rundown, brought to you by Montana's, where all you can eat rib fest is on until September 12th. Also, try their limited time Big Grill Trio. Four bones of their in-house smoked pork back ribs, a fire grill chicken breast. Both sauce to your liking, and two grilled shrimp skewers brushed with a garlicky Cajun glaze. Find out more with the hashtag Get Montana's Messy. I'm Jason Greger. Welcome in, uh, Frank Saravalli. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a very unique uh, guest on the show today, Frank, uh, an author, uh, NHL player, Sean Thornton, who uh, who go very different route. He's a chief uh, revenue officer for the Florida Panthers. Like I know that you know Luke Robitaille and and uh, you know Kevin Lowe and other guys who have who have been presidents of teams, but no one's ever filled this role as a former player that I can remember. Yeah, it's uh, certainly a unique path, and I love to see it. I love to see someone do something a little bit different. And you'll hear Sean talk about how he was drawn to the business side from playing in various stops in the AHL, where you basically have to be on board with whatever they're trying to do to sell tickets on a nightly basis to keep the franchise in town. And so uh, he was on board then, and that sort of uh, he got bit by the bug to to keep going on the business side. As soon as his career ended, it was never I want to be a coach or I want to be a scout or a GM someday it was, I want to be a president of a team. 
Yeah, and he's also an author of the book here, uh, Fighting My Way to the Top, Sean Thornton. Uh, I just finished reading it. I, I liked it because it, it seemed, you know, like, as I was reading it, it was like I could hear Thornton talking. Uh, you know, he's very kind of straightforward, a uh, little rough around the edges at times, like he said, it, it, uh, you know, growing up in Oshawa, uh, uh, Irish uh, uh, grandparents, uh, parents who he says he can never take the Irish out of you. So uh, he fit in well in Boston and and really one of the one of only four players in, in uh, NHL history to have played 600 games in the AHL and 600 in the NHL. But uh, he kind of did it uh, very different than anyone else because he played uh, 600 in the A first before going to the NHL, like almost 10 years in the, well, basically 10 years in the American league, Frank, it's, it's kind of crazy. What do you think the percentage is Jay of players who would have quit after 300 AHL games? Oh, it's, it's gotta be 90 some percent, right? I I would think a lot. Yeah. Like they, they aren't even many guys that make it to 500 AHL games, period. They're like, you know what? I'm moving on to a real job or something that I can make more money. Yeah. And there's some guys who will then go to Europe, right? Because, you know, in Europe, you can, you, especially, you know, European players will go back home because they can make more money. And and even American or Canadian players, you go over to Europe and, you know, you can play in Davos or now in the KHL if you want, or, you know, in Finland or Sweden and Czech Republic, and you can make more money there. Although I will note, I will say that some NHL teams now you're seeing certain guys like veterans are getting 350 grand to play in the There's American League because teams want, you know, good veteran leaders, guys who, who are really good workers, you know, every day to show their young guys like, Hey, if you want to make it to the NHL, this is the work ethic that you need. And it starts here in the A. There's some NHL teams that have a legitimate AHL payroll where yes. it's, you know, a few million bucks where they're paying yeah. their, their top players because they want to build that foundation in the AHL. And it's, uh, as Sean referenced, the second best league in the world, I believe that to be the case, um, you know, even over some of those European leagues. And it's a hard league, man. It's there are no nights off three games in three days is is no joke. And so um, it's a tough league to really cut your teeth in and then to make it in the NHL. Uh, Frank, uh, here in in uh, in Canada, well, at least in in Alberta, anyway. Uh, back to school today on uh, Wednesday, August third. Some kids actually were back in on the on the twenty ninth. Are your kids back? Yeah, my in kids, yeah. They it's very quiet in this house. They went back on Monday, the twenty ninth. And what grades? Uh, third and first. Oof. How was uh, how how was the excitement for your daughter in grade one? Uh, very excited. My son just is like, I hate school. I'm sick of this. And it was like, I was like, dude, it's day two. Like. Come on, cut, cut me some slack. Now, see, my son's went to grade three and luckily he likes school. Like, obviously he doesn't like he's a he's a boy who's eight. And so let's let's be real. I don't think school is his favorite thing, but luckily he likes it. He gets to play with his friends and he got the teacher that he wanted. So that's a, that seems to be a win for him. That see, that's a huge part of kids going back to school. It's like my guy, all of his friends are in a different class. And so he's like, Oh, I wanted this teacher instead of that. And it's like, a, it's a whole thing. And it's like, bud, like you, you can't do anything about that. You got to move on. Yeah. Was, was there a celebratory drink amongst the Sarah Valley's on Monday when the house was empty? No, it was just more like, Oh, so this is what it's like. So this is what it's like. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's very uh, it's much quieter now. Uh, we're into September next month. Um, we saw Phil the Thrill sign uh, sign in Vegas, and Vegas signs him. They also acquire Aiden Hill. To uh, we talked to try about to- the Sharks' backlog with their goalies last week, didn't we? We yeah. mentioned well, that it you know at some point I, I figured why go into the season with three? There has to be someone out there that needs someone. 
Yeah, well, Vegas for sure needs someone, right? And like Aiden Hill is an interesting one for me because injuries are his biggest issue right now is he can't stay healthy. And so, you know, when healthy, there's a lot of people that think he's got some ability. You know, he's he fits kind of the uh, the 2022 goaltender. He's big, he's mobile, he's six foot six. But, you know, it's funny, Vegas, like right now, it's, geez, if you can stay healthy in goal, that's, that's going to be their biggest benefit because, you know, uh, you know, Thompson unproven yet. He showed in, in under 20 games that, you know, maybe he's a, he's a capable NHL goalie, but that's 20 games. So I still, I look at Vegas's goaltending, Frank, and there's still question marks there more oh. than any other contending team in the West. It's not even close. I mean, look, I, I know the sample size is still limited. You know, Capo Kakinen is at 65 games. I wonder how different the acquisition cost would have been for them to go get Kakinen from San Jose instead of uh, Aiden Hill. Cause it seemed like Aiden Hill was sort of the odd man out anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think if you're the sharks, I think they're, they're hoping that Kakadu maybe is their guy kind of long-term here, right? James Reimer's in the last year of his deal. And, you know, and, and James Reimer is like that ultimate, if you just want a consistent goaltender, that's who you're going to get. You know, he's, he's very consistent as a personality. His teammates really like him. He's low maintenance. Um, he just kind of fits in, but I, I don't think anybody looks at him as the long-term answer in San Jose. But then wouldn't he have been a good one-year stopgap for Vegas? Like, why did you end up with Aiden? It seems like you're just kind of, you know, trying to put a square peg in a round hole, not knocking Aiden Hill or saying that he can't do it, but he was clearly the third of three options. Yeah. Well, I, I think it San shows Jose. Mike, Mike Greer and the Sharks still believe, Frank, that you, you look at all the veteran players they have. I think they still feel that they want to at least give themselves a chance out of the gate to be competitive. I, I get that new regime, you know, new yeah. coach, new GM. I, I understand, but I would I would argue that for the most part, with all the vets that they have after three years of being not close to the playoff window, that I don't know. He, probably are what you are after the last three years. Yeah. And then and by and, the way, uh, they started pretty well last year. They were a competitive team for the first two months of the season. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. It's obviously difficult, but it's funny. The team they traded with Vegas, I think if you're San Jose and Vancouver, that's the team you look at to say, Hey, I think they're vulnerable. And if we get off to good starts, we can get into the postseason, right? Anaheim's all the non-playoff teams right now, like Edmonton, Calgary, and LA, at least on paper to start the season would be in a more secure position than Vegas. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, quickly, the, you know, you talked about it last week on the Patrick Kane, you know, and you said, Hey, I don't think he's going anywhere before the season. I don't think that's changed at all, but man, the, the New York Rangers, Frank, the, the more you break down the numbers, you look at their team and everything like that. Jeez. I, I read somewhere that, you know, like from a, from a family perspective, like that makes a lot of sense, right. Um, for the New York Rangers, but the New York Rangers, we saw in the postseason. Their young line, that young, those, you know, Cheeto and Lafreniere and, and even Capocacco, like, I think those guys, one or if not two, maybe three could all pop this year. And, and I wonder how that changes what their mindset will be as the season progresses in New York. I don't know. I mean, it, it depends how much they pop, I guess. Uh, because at the end of the day, you're now in your competitive window, right? Yeah. And you, it, it's squarely open when you get to a conference final and you're saying, how can we not let this year go to waste? Meaning one year where you fit in the cap, everyone fits in perfectly. And, and by the way, um, had some interesting insight talking with a general manager last week who was saying, you know, you, you 
you look at the Rangers and those young guys, think about the cap hell that they would be in had those guys actually popped on their entry level deals. They yeah. bought, they actually bought themselves some time on the cap with those guys not storming out of the gate as much as they probably would have wanted them to. It's a good problem to have uh, if those guys really take off. But he was pointing out and saying like, Hey, they really caught a break there because oh, they're 100%. able to fit in everyone way more comfortably. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, and, and the truth is like very few guys, you know, really jump out. And so the, the Rangers lucked out a little bit, Frank, because they won the lottery, right? Like they weren't that bad of a team compared to mm-hmm. where they got some of those guys drafted, right? Because they moved up in, in lottery positions. And so when those players came in, they, they didn't get all the big minutes and, and all the opportunities maybe, and, and maybe they weren't ready at the same time. So yeah, kind of a perfect storm uh, to see where it goes and gives them a little bit extra runway, maybe a few extra years to, to have guys before they're all going to get paid. Now, speaking of getting paid, I want to get your thoughts on Tage Thompson, who's coming off a 38 goal, uh, 68 point season, like a massive breakout for Tage Thompson, who had eight goals and 14 points the year before to, to go from eight to 38 in the NHL. Now, granted, I, I know it's from 38 games to, to 78, but he went from 14 points in 38 to 68 in 78. It's a significant jump, right? Um, he seemed like that, that bigger body, Frank, that just took some time time to kind of grow into himself what what do you make of tage thompson and and uh, is this going to be a contract that you know people look at and say hey you know what it's seven mil yeah he's going to live up to that Uh, it's interesting it's a huge bet i think um and i really like tage thompson um i think he's got the talent there's a reason why he was a first round pick from st louis but there was a pretty significant sample size that existed prior to this you know, with 140 some NHL games where he had scored a grand total of, was it 19 goals, 18 goals? Like it's, it's not many. And then to bust out with a 38 goal season, like my question is, can you duplicate it? And if so, like, is this, was this a smart bet for the Buffalo Sabres? You go from 1.4 to 7.14. That's a huge jump. And I don't know, I guess for me, I don't necessarily understand what the rush was like had Tage Thompson come back this season and did it, done it again. He was under contract at 1.4. Well, then you pay him. And if, if then you're going to pay him, how much different is the contract from 7.1? Like if he scores 40 again, does he creep up into the eights? I mean, maybe, but it's not a huge, you know, the, the, the downside I think is enormous for the Sabres. And what if he comes back and has, I don't know, a 14 goal season, then you're saying, well, why are we paying this guy 7.14 for the next seven years? It's a $50 million commitment. I love the contract for the player. I mean, go ahead and get it all day long. And, you know, he's, it's, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting choice. Um, but I get if, if you're the Sabres, you want to try and keep, you know, maybe from their perspective, I'm trying to think about it. You're trying to keep him in, in Buffalo and you want guys to commit to your team, but I, I think it's a huge bet. Yeah, definitely a bet. I, I do look at, um, you know, Robert Thomas and Josh Norris and, 
kind of similar, right? Like all these young guys have breakout years and I'm sure that's what the Tage Thompson camp was, was comparing to It just, you know, you do look at, but it's not, it's not, I mean, just like to, to reference a couple of the guys that you're talking about, Josh Norris goes from 17 to 35. Yeah. Tage Thompson in four NHL seasons didn't have 17 total. Mm -hmm. Josh Norris did that the one year prior. Like I, I, it's, there's track record. That's a lot different with Tage, Tage Thompson. And part of it, Two was opportunity, right? Like he was behind a bunch of guys in St. Louis where he couldn't necessarily do that. But yeah, I mean, I've got the numbers pulled up right here. 145 games and 18 goals. Yeah. Well, look at Rob, look at Robert Thomas though. He had 22 goals in what? Uh, 169 games. Right. And then he burst out to 20 goals. And it's like, I think Thomas is a, is a direct comparable to Tage Thompson, right? He went. Yeah. But Thomas to, has never, Thomas still wasn't a good, a huge goal scorer this year. He had 20. Yeah. 77 points. Yeah. He had 50 assists. He was, he was a playmaker. You're counting, you're paying Tage Thompson now to score goals. And I don't know. He goes from a career shooting percentage of, let's see, five and a half percent. The 14, I think it was. She tripled it to 15. Yeah. His career shooting percentage. Yeah. I mean, it, it more than doubled. So I don't know. I, I'm not, not, I, I think it's a great contract for the player. I just wonder what the rush was for the Sabres. Like I would have said, go out and do it again. Yeah. Um, what, what did you make of Tom Gallardi, the owner of the star saying, Hey, these young guys coming out of entry level contracts are getting huge tickets and uh, it's squeezing out veteran players. Uh, it's kind of a, what, what do you make of that take? Um, I don't know. I don't, it's true, but, but I, it, like, I, I was I don't know why he, yeah. Like, what, I'm like, what's what about veteran, for veteran players? Yeah. And I'm like, what about veteran guys who get eight year deals at 29? And then for the last four years of the deal are a shadow of themselves. It's no different. No. Um, I would say that he, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that that's exactly the type of contract that you're talking about getting a, a deal at, I don't know, age 26 or whatever that ends up being really damaging. Like look at the contracts for Ben and Sagan. They both got pretty sizable deals coming out of entry level. They went from entry level. Jamie Ben went to 5.25 for five years and then jumped up to his nine and a half or 9.85 and Sagan, you know, same sort of thing. Like they, you, I, I'd personally rather if the player has earned it, or you think that they're going to be in that upper echelon of, of players buy all the best years of that player. And then at the end of the seven or eight years, then move on. Yeah. hundred percent. So for fun, Frank, in over the next five years, Thomas Norris or, um, or Thompson, who do you think is a, is the one that's going to give you the best bang for your value over five year span? Cause I, one year is anybody can get hot for one year. Probably Josh Norris. Josh Norris. All right. I would go in order. I would go Norris, Thomas Thompson. You know what? I'm, uh, I'm actually going Tage Thompson. I'm a big, uh, I'm a big, I like guys with size with that kind of skill. I'm going to okay. go with, I'm going with Tage Thompson as a, as a, a little bit of a, of a late popper. Grant, he's only 24. He's not that old by any stretch, but uh, I'm going with, uh, with Tage when, when you're that big and, and you can shoot, oof, I will. Uh, I, and he's going to get every opportunity no question in Buffalo. Yep. All right. Let's bring in, uh, uh, before we get to, uh, we're going to have Sean Thornton coming up, uh, but let's get to uh, Tyler Remchuk and uh, buy or sell. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yes, let's get into a new edition of Buy or Sell, as always, delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Ding dong. 25% 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order when you use the promo code RUNDOWNDD. You guys were talking about Tage Thompson. I want to talk about another player who, you know, I guess Tage Thompson didn't need a new deal, but Jason Robertson needs a new deal. I'm going to say yeah. he gets at least $1 million more than Tage Thompson did. Frank, buy or sell? Buy. Um, yeah, I could see it being even more than that. I, I could see Jason Robertson being in the nines. Wow. Well, you think, I mean, think about what he's already accomplished and then think about all the years that you'd be buying. If you're going to do a long-term deal, Um, like he went from 45 point season um, as a rookie to then 79 in 74 games and hit 40 goals. Like if you're trying, if you're trying to do a a seven or eight year deal, then it, it would probably have to be in that range. Yeah. Well, his owner doesn't seem like he wants to pay it. So (laughs) that's interesting part because Tim and Ottinger. So more, so does he get 8.14? Yeah. I think he's going to get more than a million because I think it comes in around Robert Thomas money, maybe slightly higher than that even. Yeah. All right. Uh, Phil Kessel, you guys touched on that a little bit earlier. Uh, I'm going to say he finds his form. I think Phil and the Vegas Golden Knights is a perfect fit. Last season, he had eight goals, but he only shot like four and a half percent. That's the lowest mark he's had in any season in his career. I'm going to say Phil Kessel finds the fountain of youth, maybe outside the fountain of the Bellagio. He scores 20 goals this year. Frankie buying or selling? I'm going to sell. Ah. I think he's like in the 15 range. All right. Jay? By the way, what a fit. Like Phil Kessel, the poker player, Rivers Casino in Pittsburgh. He's got his pick of the litter now in Vegas. Well, he had 20 goals in the uh, in the shortened season, right? In Arizona, when in 56 games. So, you know, f- f- he's not that far removed from 20. So, yeah, I, I think he actually, he'll get 20 in, in Vegas. He's going to help their power play for sure. 
Yeah. And that's actually the part I'm most intrigued about is maybe Jack Eichel setting up Phil Kessel on that top power play unit. Uh, Number three, I was looking through the teams that won their division last season. You had Carolina, Florida, Colorado, and Calgary. I'm going to say that this upcoming season, we get three new division winners from around the league. Buy or sell, Jason? Yeah, I'm going to buy. I, I think there's uh, I think there's legit chance uh, that a different team wins the Pacific. Um, same as uh, Florida. Uh, I think Toronto might actually win their division in the regular season. Um, and Colorado is the only one I'm going to go that I think is yeah. going to win their division of those four. Yeah. Frank? I'm going to sell. I think Carolina and Colorado both win their division. I think Florida easily could. Um, and I think they might. Uh, I'm going to, yeah, I, I think there's a chance that three, two or three of those teams repeat. And I honestly, I can't, I can't slash Calgary out of the picture and, and, and dismiss them out of hand either. No, not at all. Uh, let's get to our bonus question of the week brought to you by Montana's hashtag get Montana's messy. Maybe your kids are back at school. You don't want to cook. Just go to Montana's all you can eat ribs. That'll fill them up. Anyways, school related question for you guys. Simple. What was your favorite subject in school, Jay? <laughs> Well, I'm assuming phys ed doesn't count. No, so uh, I, that's a cheap I, answer. I, I will go with math. Um, really? I already like math. That, that should, that's not uh, that big of a surprise the way you can dig up stats and do all that. So uh, yeah, that's expected. Frank? I'm going to say English language arts. Uh, I was an English major in college. And as annoying as that was reading a lot of Shakespeare, um, it, uh, it served me quite well. Favorite Shakespeare? No, I, I don't, I don't, I can't remember any of it. <laughs> uh, fair enough. I, I took an all entire right. semester class on all literature prior to 1812. Yeah. It was extremely painful. That sounds painful. <laughs> oh, right. oh, oh, man, we could have probably the greatest interaction from an audience would be a reply to the rundown on the, the, the class you took in college or university that was like the most painful that has done absolutely nothing for your career. I took one on interpreting modern dance. That was incredible. I got a D in that. I think did I, you I, have to do any of the dancing? No, I just had to oh like, God, watch. cause I, I would I love a video of that watch. So you had to interpret. So, okay. Tell me, give us a Cole's notes on that course. So like it would just be a woman standing at the front talking about dance and explaining it. And then you'd have to read books or you'd watch a video on dance. It was a, awful do you remember any of it like do you know any of the dances nothing and i also like it it was a night i took a lot so i i graduated i don't i don't know if anyone knows this or i've told the story i graduated in three years and i did almost all my work at night um because i i was working at the paper during the day and and chasing stories and so um my college experience was very different than a lot of other people. And so I, you know, it was like a Thursday night class from like six to nine and you'd meet once a week and listen to this, this woman talk about dance. She was a local dance instructor. I think the course was like nine weeks long or whatever it ended up being. And I probably made it there three times, four oh, times. God. Like I was like, Thursday Why did night, you take I can't, it? 
That's because I, 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 it was an elective that fit oh. my schedule. I I, oh. I picked everything based on fitting my schedule. So it was like okay. whatever class fit my like satisfied the requirement and also fit my schedule. It was like I don't care what it is, I'm taking it. And it was like my choice most Thursday nights because I also went to school. You know, to graduate in three years, I went in the summer. It was like go to the bar with your buddies on Thursday night or go to this dance class, and like. Like I said, five times out of nine, I went with my buddies and did like just enough to get the D. And, uh, you know, as my motto was in school, C's and D's get degrees. <laughs> D's and D's get degrees. But Frank, I give both you and Jason an A plus for your participation in today's edition of Buy or Sell, as always delivered by DoorDash. And it, it sounds funny, but that was my motto. But I also... I did graduate school with a 3.3 GPA. Oh, well, there you go. So a few more C's than it wasn't just C's and D's. Yes. Yeah. It was enough to get into, uh, into Columbia for my master's in journalism program. Awesome. Well, Hey, let's get to our, uh, our big guest today from the uh, Florida Panthers organization. Our next guest on the DFO rundown was the 190th pick in the 1997 NHL draft. He played 705 NHL games, which was the 17th most of his draft class, but that was after he played 605 in the American Hockey League. He won two Stanley Cups. He is the chief revenue officer with the Florida Panthers, and he's also an author. Sean Thornton joins us. Sean, welcome to the pod. How are you doing? Good, really good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, whenever anyone says the author part, I'm like, I am. Oh wait, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to get into the book and uh, you know, you know, with with Dale Arnold and, and everything, but I I kind of want to start with you know your unique career. Um, I, I think you're one of four guys who has played 600 games in both the AHL and the NHL, but most guys did it the other way, where they were in the NHL and then they they kind of played out their career in the in the AHL at the end. Where you played 10 seasons in the AHL, you played. 605 games and I think you got into a total of 31 NHL games in those first 10 years um that's a long time to 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 fight it out no pun intended for you in the AHL what kept you going all that time and did you did you think that an NHL career of 700 games was ever possible in those first decade in the A Probably not 700 games. Uh, I I still can't believe I played till I was almost 40. Uh, I don't know how I did it. I don't know how people were uh I don't know if people gave me jobs till I was 40, but um, you know what? When I got into the AHL, I literally got drafted out of Steel Factory in my hometown. I, I never wanted to go back there. So I took playing the game as uh, as a gift. It's the minors, but it's still the second best league in the world. And um, you know, you're with a bunch of guys playing a game for a living now. When I got to be like 28, 29, and started thinking, I'm gonna have to start transitioning into something else uh if it if I don't get my break, because you can't play in the minors. You're not making enough in the minors to, you know, play to your 35, 36 and not have a, a backup plan. Um, so I, I was going to leave. I was going to be a cop uh, right after Anaheim. Anaheim was the last team I was going to try with. And uh, we got sent down to Portland. And I was like, I guess I'm going to be a cop back in my hometown after this year. And then we won a cup, got called up, won a cup in Anaheim. And, you know, thank God I got my tenure in Boston and then rode that into my last three years here in Florida. But uh, yeah, listen, it wasn't easy getting punched in the face 30, 40 times a year in the minors, but again, better than, better than going back to my hometown and, and lacing them up in the factory for 12 hour midnight shifts, moving steel bars. So I, I, I felt I was privileged. And you actually did work in the steel mill. So you know how tough it is, right? Like you worked there a few summers. 
Yeah, I worked there for six months. Uh, my dad worked there, my grandfather, my uncle, my aunt, my sister, uh, for generations of, uh, of steel workers. So uh, yeah, it wasn't fun work. I, it was work, that's for sure. It was good money. I mean, as a 19 year old kid, you know, making 20 something bucks an hour. And that, that's, that's real money when you're, you know, looking to not sure where your next step's going to be. I didn't know if I was going to get drafted or anything. So uh, putting some money in the bank in case I was going to college. So speaking of money, you retire after 2016, 17 with the Panthers, and then you become, you, you enter the business side of the hockey world. You're as Jason mentioned, chief revenue officer. First off, tell us what that means. Uh, if, yeah. if you're a fan listening at home and, and what is your day to day like? So, uh, so I oversee all revenue. So, uh, my direct reports are, we have a VP of ticketing, VP of partnerships and a VP of community and foundation. We see, uh, community as a revenue driver as well. Not just, uh, not just giving back to the community. We do do a ton of that. It's in our DNA from the top down, but, uh, as you grow the game, you should be growing revenue, uh, through those various verticals. So my day to day is literally trying to figure out creative ways on how to move tickets, create theme nights, create different products uh, for partnerships, ticket sales and community endeavors, I guess. So, so the business side, the business side of things was always, a, people are always surprised that I'm on this side, but when I was a player, I literally used to live in the Bruins front office and the miners, you have to be involved in the business side. Those teams don't survive unless you're a part of the, the DNA and helping them sell tickets and, you know, the players are assets basically. So um, I was very involved in the business side or very interested in the business side. When I played for the Bruins, I became really close friends with a lot of people in the front office. And that continued when I came to the Panthers. And when I was about to retire, our CEO and minority owner, Doug Sifu, sat me down and said, you seem to know a lot about this stuff. Uh, tend to be a little, tend to be a little smarter than you let on. Somebody gets punched in the face. Uh, we'd like to see a, a, on the business side and see what you can bring. And I was, you know, first player this organization had on the, on the, uh, on the business side. So I brought a little bit of a different perspective, uh, into the meetings too. Yeah. It's Sean. It's so rare to see former players go the business route. Uh, you know, most are on the hockey op side. Were you ever drawn to the hockey op side at all? Do you ever offer any insight or advice or is you no, sort of stay on your I, I side? Stayed, I stay completely away from the hockey op side. If they reach out and ask me a question, like I'm happy to give my opinion on something, but you know, Bill has his team over there and they do a great job. Uh, on their side. And I'm, I have numbers to hit and my, that's my focus. So um, I listen, I love it. I, did I think about the hockey side? No, not really. Uh, my other route was probably going to go back to Boston, do some, do what you guys are doing, do some TV, do some TV, radio, some community relations stuff. I had some uh, personal sponsorship deals uh, that I would have went back to, but again, this was always my passion. Now the chief revenue officer, you come off, you know, the, the best regular season the Panthers have ever had. Does that translate? And do you, uh, how do you kind of look at growing the game in, in what was for a long time, some consider maybe a non-traditional hockey market, but you know, any, any market that wins, I find fans become passionate about it. Number one. So can you talk about the growth maybe of hockey in Florida and, and some of the misconceptions that people on the outside might have? Yeah, I will say my, my budgeted numbers are uh, expected from the winning season. They're a little bit higher than uh, <laughs> than they ever been, uh, which is great. And we look like we're, we're tracking nicely towards them. Um, I will say down here, it started probably eight, nine years ago on the grassroots level, uh, growing the game. We previous This is nothing against previous ownership, but I think uh, there wasn't a focus on growing the game at the grassroots level. Vinny and Doug came in and said, you know, we want to get in sticks in as many kids' hands as possible. We're currently in... 400, over 450 schools. We create curriculum, uh, bring the teachers out, give them all the equipment. They go back in their schools. We're trying to put hockey sticks in every kid's hands. Uh, our learn to play numbers, I think are third highest in the 
country, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, our revenue growth is exponential in years past. Our season ticket uh, base this year compared to last year is up 21%. So uh, we're looking really good. I mean, the perception is it's a South Florida market. There's a lot of things to do. Nobody's going to hockey games, but we've really done a good job in the community and building this uh, franchise brand. And then obviously, as you said, when you've built that base and then you start winning, this is an event market. And now you become an event, people jump on. So uh, we're looking to capitalize on all of it for sure. You're, you're a highly competitive guy. We're going to get into that for, in the book a little bit later on, Sean. But, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning in Florida, you know, it's it's a natural rival. You've been a, a part of rivals. How much does their success fuel you? 100%. I, I will say on the business side, too, we have a great relationship with them. Obviously, on the ice, uh, they, they want to kill each other. They want to win every single game. Uh, but we share best practices with them. Uh, the person that's in their role over the Tampa Bay Lightning is Jimmy Frivola. He's he's a good friend of mine. We talk probably every single week on what they're doing over there compared to what we're doing over here and how we can align on on different things. So um, they've had a ton of success. They've done a lot of things the right way. And all you can do is try and learn from it and, and try and implement what makes sense on this side of the state. And hopefully that rivalry keeps growing because it just it really enhances both brands. Sean, we talked about your time in the minors and how you sort of as a player have to be involved in what's going on off the ice. Was there a moment in time or something that, you know, sort of caught your attention or your eye when you got bit by the the bug on the business side? Like what, what drew you to it? Uh, my GM in Norfolk, uh, Al McIsaac, uh, kind of broke it down for, you know, we were doing a lot of fan events, a lot of season ticket holder events, a lot of stuff. And I was, I wouldn't say complaining, but inquiring, like, why are we doing so much of this down here? And they're like, that, that's your base. This is what helps us survive. Without that, we don't have a team here. And do you want to go to, a, this is a pretty good market. Do you want to stay in this market as long as you're in the minors? Because Virginia Beach is a pretty nice place. If you do, then you do these things to help us grow the game. And I was like, you know what? He's right. I've never really thought about it that way. I thought of myself as a player. I just show up. I do my appearance. I grab my water. I'm out the door. But like, you really have to be integrated to it. And I think as players, you... I mean, especially now, I mean, they have a 50, 50 split, right? So uh, the more you can help grow the game, the more you're going to grow revenues, the more money goes back in your pocket at the end of the day. Do you think more NHL players understand that Sean, are, are guys more aware of that? Because you mentioned the 50, 50 split and you know, the more that they grow the game overall, it benefits them or, or some guys just laser focused on, you know, and I'm a hockey player and other people will take care of that. Probably a bit of both, I would say, depending on the guy. I think some guys are probably super knowledgeable about it, and other guys are just, I'm going to go out there and win win hockey games or score goals or do whatever it takes to try and win a championship. I don't know. I haven't been in the NHLPA in you know six years now, so I, I'm really not sure what the, the narrative within the organization is. Uh, but I know when I was there, they, they tried to do a pretty good job of explaining it to us. You have now, a source I want to go- of pride, Sean, of, of something that you've been able to cook up on the, the business side for the Panthers that an idea that you've put in place that's taken off. Ooh, I have a tough time taking credit for ideas. Uh, we, I mean, we, we've had a few things here. We were the first team to go out with uh, NILs uh, last season when it came, uh, came together. Uh, we we're the first team in pro sports to have a virtual 5k. I mean, it didn't drive a lot of revenue, but first ones to be creative enough to think about how can we engage with our local fan base and, uh, during the, the start of a pandemic. Uh, I mean, we got a ton of, ton of reach, ton of impressions over 19 million, I think on that thing. So, um, I'll be very happy when we hit record numbers and, you know, can 
generate some revenue that ownership's very happy with and can really give credit to the, the people that are doing it on the daily. So what's the goal then, Sean, for you as the, the chief revenue officer? I, you know, reading your book, it sense you've always been somebody who likes to have goals in place on where you want to go. Do you, do you have an ultimate goal? Yeah, it, it, listen, I'm very comfortable in this role. Uh, I, I love it. Uh, I'm in a great organization with great ownership and a great boss and great peers. Uh, ultimately, if the, if the timing worked out or the opportunity presented itself, part of the reason I got on the business side was to potentially be a team president one day. Uh, I would have to probably go back and learn a little bit more on the hockey side. There's a lot over there that uh, has changed in the last five years, but playing for 20 years, I, I think I have a general understanding and winning a couple of cups of what it might take. So uh, I figured to best arm myself to get into one of those positions. I'm not a Hall of Famer. I'm not uh, somebody that's ever you know going to be the face of a franchise because of the success of a player as a player. So I really thought I had to dig in and really learn the numbers and, and really understand the side of the business. If I'm going to, if I'm going to run it one day and it might not happen and I want it, but it might not happen. And I'm okay with that too. Now let, let's get to the book, uh, fighting my way to the top uh, with Dale Arnold. Uh, tell me kind of how it all came about and um, you know, how long of a process it was from the start to, to the time you got the book produced. Yeah. So Dale reached out, he had wrote, he had wrote, written a book, Prior, they asked him to write another one. Uh, Triumph asked if he had any players that they thought or he thought might be a good fit for a book, and he brought up my my story. Uh, he approached me three or four times. I said no. Uh, I don't really like to be the center of attention, so I didn't want to have my face on a book out there in a lot of stores. But he thought my story could be inspiring, and uh, you know, he said there might be another kid out there that was like you that never thought he was going to make it, and he reads this story and it inspires him to do better. Wouldn't you want that story out there? I was like, ah. Well, now I'm an idiot if I don't say yes, right? Put it back. <laughs> he created the narrative that I couldn't say no. Um, I will say the process was a little bit, it wasn't what we were expecting it to be. We, when I signed up, it was pre-pandemic, like, and then the world shut down about a month later. So, you know, the idea was to bring Dale down here, let him meet the family, meet my friends, come into work, see what my daily's like, go up to Toronto, see my hometown friends, come to Boston for my charity events whenever I'm there. He's in Boston, but, you know, really do some hot stoving. Some stories can come out of that. And uh, it, I want it to be very organic. And I want, wanted a lot of the voices to be other people that uh, have affected my life uh, positively, but then we got shut down. So it really turned into like a year, year and a half long phone interview from different states. And I, I'm not going to lie to you. I lost some sleep on how this thing was going to come out. Uh, Cause you know, you're trying to figure out what, what was it the first year in St. John's they went to Grand Falls and this thing happened or was it the second year? tried to Google it. Nobody had anything online back then. So you couldn't, I couldn't be, put the beast together. Anyways, it ended up turning out all right. Dale's a really good guy and uh, very patient with me as well. Uh, and, you know, tried to find my voice while he was helping to, to write this. So uh, I think it turned out okay. I, ho I hope people enjoy it. I've had a lot of positive feedback. Nobody said I'm an idiot yet for writing it. So uh, I'll, I'll take that as a win, I guess. Well, you had a lot of stops, uh, both in the American League and, and in the NHL. And obviously, you know, a lot of people remember you maybe more as a Bruin uh, than anything else for, for your NHL career. And, and Bruin fans are pretty loyal. And um, your persona, Sean, like when you look at and you talked about how you were lucky playing hockey. But, you know, you look at the type of player you were, the style that you played like Boston, you know, they have a nickname Massholes, right? For a lot of them, like, like you, I don't know if you could have fit into a better team. No. And you know what? That July 1st, I had three or four options. Cam Neely called me and he said, you know what, Sean, I've seen some players like you come through here. And I, I, 
I, I got to tell you, like they're just loved in this city. And that might've been the understatement of my career. I, I'm still taken back at how welcoming and how appreciative are they are of those people are the role that's played uh, that I had to play. Uh, you know, a little bit of it is I got fully immersed in the community. I decided we have to put up with the winters, like let's enjoy the summers too. So we stayed there year round and got to know a lot of people, did a lot of community work and got to know a lot of the other organizations uh, around the city. But yeah, I, I mean, I go back, I was back there last week and uh, I still can't buy a beer and I retired. <laughs> you know, I haven't been there for eight years, but I had a golf tournament a week ago, sold out, but oversold. And that keeps happening year after year for my foundation. And I really pinched myself. I'm like, I, I don't know what I did to have this type of impact here, but I, I'm very fortunate to have the people in that city appreciate me. Yeah, Sean, wanted you to talk quickly about your charity and the Sean Thornton Foundation and, and the work that you've done for both cancer and Parkinson's research. Yeah, I, so we started a golf tournament. My grandmother had uh, had Parkinson's. She passed away. I started a golf tournament in her memory to raise money for uh, the American Parkinson's Disease Association. And uh the lockout happened in 2012. So we weren't allowed to communicate. The Bruins used to run the golf tournament. We weren't allowed to communicate with the front office. So I had to start my own foundation basically to keep that uh, golf tournament up and running. And I, I got to say, it was one of the best things to come out of that lockout. Definitely better than half the paychecks I lost. But the uh, <laughs> foundation supports Parkinson's, pediatric cancer. Uh, the golf tournament's the pillar event. We also get uh, bibs for runners for the Boston Marathon and the Falmouth Road Race. We used to have some ancillary events when I lived in the city, but now that I'm down here working every day, it's tough to do as much as I'd like to, but uh, very fortunate. Everyone on my board volunteers, every dollar that comes in goes right back out to the uh, the various causes and uh, something, you know, I, I like giving back. People ask what I'd like to be remembered for. It wasn't for getting punched in the face. I'll tell you that. I'd rather be remembered for being able to give back to the community in some way, shape or form. More than a million dollars raised so far, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I got to get the final numbers from this year's tournament, but I think we did pretty well this year too. So um, it, it's been good. Listen, you always want to raise more. You want to give more back. But like I said, I have, I got a family, I got two kids, I got a job. I'm, I'm, I try and do as much as I can. But it's not as easy to just put all my focus there, but I, I do have some really, really great people on my board that, that help me day to day. Now, Sean, when we have authors on, I don't like to give away too much of the book because we want people to go buy it and read it, of course, uh, fighting my way to the top. Anybody can Google it. But I do want to talk about the, you know, the incident that, that you went in depth in in the book in regard, you know, it stemmed from the the cheap shot on Mark Savard and then, you know, the ultimate kind of, you know, with Matt Cook and then, you know, the fight with the Dallas Stars. But can you take me back to to the whole Mark Savard, you know, hit with, with Matt Cook that a lot of guys maybe didn't see? And, and the thing in the book that really caught me was, how you wrote how hey man like Bruins fans were more mad at us than anything because we didn't do anything initially and I think that kind of speaks to this fan base that they have there and and kind of the build up to that and 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 even Billy Guerin who played for the Penguins um, who's now a GM in the league how he was almost integral for for that not becoming pandemonium yeah I was actually talking to Billy two days ago he's amazing I love that guy um yeah so you know the cook the cook incident happened with Savvy. Was, uh, I think it was technically a legal hit back then. I think they might've changed the rule because of Savvy and a couple others. Um, it happened. Listen, I was on the bench. I wasn't getting another shift that game. I think we were down by a goal. Uh, I wouldn't say it happened behind the play, but not really the focal point of the, the play. So some people might've missed it. We saw it afterwards. We're like, Oh God, that was bad. Uh, sports talk radio. Everyone was just literally calling for all of our heads. I think we were all going to have to move out of town if we didn't do anything. Uh, we we're fortunate that there was a game, I think eight or nine, 10 days later, I can't remember off the top of my head, but, 
you know, the league kind of gave us an address and said, we don't want this to be an absolute gong show. So keep it respectful, but we wanted to internally anyways, I've been through enough of these in the minors to, and, and Rex had seen enough through his days and Z had seen enough through his days, you know, how do we approach this the right way? So we kind of talked about it and said, who wants it? I'm like, it's my job. I'll, I'll, I'll gladly take care of this. It's uh, it should be on my shoulders. And by the way, I don't think he ever would have fought Z. The guy's seven feet tall. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if it would have been uh game. I'd have went the other way. If we tried that, um, yeah, Rex talked to Billy G and said, well, Hey, we talked about this. This can, have, this can be an absolute brutal night for everybody, or he can fight authority first shift, whatever happens happens. And we just move on and play hockey. And Billy Garen went in, I guess I wasn't in there and said, Matt, you're fighting Thority first shift and we're moving on because uh, I really don't want to deal with what the other side of it could look like. So uh, it happened. We fought. There was a couple other fights in the game, but it wasn't uh, it really wasn't because of the incident. I think it was just hockey and the pressure cooker that needed to be relieved every once in a while. I think Mike Rupp might have fought uh, Z. There might be one more. I can't even remember. But um, the city was satisfied with how we approached it. I think we did it the right way. I mean, I, I was never a big believer in just turning games into an absolute bloodbath. Like has to be addressed, but dress it, you know, professionally and then move on. Now, was that normal, Sean, that you had situations where were you ever involved in other ones in the NHL where, you know, a guy from your team, a leader would go talk to a leader, of the other team and say, Hey, Somebody's got to sort this out or this game's going to go crazy. Did that happen more than we think? Nah, not a lot. I mean, uh, I remember here in Florida, actually, I think, I think it was Kulikov hit SEGS low, and then we had to play them the next week, and they were calling for everyone's head and blah, blah, blah. And I, I think I just went up to Jamie Ben and said, Jamie, like, you, you guys got some guys, but, like, I can murder your whole team. So Kulikov will fight whoever you want first shift. We've already told him he has to do that. But after that, it's done or else I'm going to come unhinged too. And that's not what we want. And Jamie's like, yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> so uh, it, it doesn't happen a ton, but it, it, it does happen every once in a while. So, uh, Sean, we always like to end our interviews with uh, with rapid fire. Uh, oh the only rule is you have to answer the question. <laughs> oh, God, I hope these are softballs. Oh, well, some of them are. They're, they're a little bit more fun. Um, in the book, you talked about how uh, your uh, your mother named you after a John Wayne character, Sean Thornton, in The uh, Quiet Man. So uh, do you have a favorite John Wayne movie not named The Quiet Man? Oh, God, no, I actually don't. I don't. Quiet You've man. never watched any other John Wayne movies? I, I have, but I, I've watched a lot of them, but I can't remember which one's which. And it's not like I dug in and studied John Wayne. Okay. Worst job at the steel plant? Cleaning up underneath the machines during shutdown for two weeks. So Why? They, like, so the, the factory runs for a year and then they shut down for two weeks and you have to go down underneath and like pull the sludge and everything out from underneath the machines to clean it up so it doesn't build up too much. You can only be down there for like 15 minutes due to union rules. It was miserable. Oh, so you have to rotate. Everybody takes 15 minutes. Basically. Yeah. 15 minutes down out for, I can't remember a half hour. Maybe then you go back in, you have to wear the mask, the whole thing. It's hot as Hades down there. You're putting stuff in a bucket. They wheel it up and they wheel you back up. Oh, all right. It wasn't fun. Hey, do you ever, do you know what became of Johnny boom, boom, Shamoon? I actually don't know where Johnny Boom Boom Shamoon is. No, I'm not sure where he went. That is a sick nickname. I had to ask about it. This is my old my old uh, my old roommate Dave Durden used to he called he still calls me Boom Boom just to rub it in that that's how I got the, into the juniors. <laughs> Who was the toughest guy you fought in the American League that a lot of people don't know about? Ooh, 
Good question. Trevor Gillies was pretty tough. Uh, Mitch Fritz was really big, so he was pretty tough. I'm trying to think. Man, I, I fought so I was fighting 30, 40 times a year down there. It's, it's tough to pick one one person. There, there's a bunch of tough guys though. Favorite AHL road team to play, a uh, road city to play in. Uh, yeah, those West Coast teams weren't around when I played. So for me, probably when we got to go to like a Chicago or uh, I actually like Portland, Maine a lot too. Who had the biggest influence on your NHL career? Oh, biggest influence. <sighs> There's too many, honestly. I know I got I got to answer, but like all my coaches along the way, a couple players, a uh, couple mentors off the ice. I mean, I, I've had a lot of people. I don't think you can, I, I can't pinpoint one person. My parents were instilling some sort of work ethic in me too. Favorite regular season NHL goal? Favorite penalty shot. It's gotta be. Nobody ever thought I could pull off that move. Never got another shootout opportunity afterwards. I'm still a little sour about that. I'm one for one. Oh man. Hey, you know what? Jason Strudwick, my co-host, who's also one for one. He went in the shootout 15th. He never got a chance again. And he's but he almost says it's good because now he can say he's a, he's a, he's one for one forever. Yeah, batting a thousand. I, I your teammate, which one of your teammates, when you pulled the move off? was the most happy for you because it seemed like obviously everybody was, but like who had the best line after you scored? Uh, I don't know about the best line. I'd say four happiest were Lucic, Tuca, Horty, and uh, Timmy Thomas. Probably because I've used that move on Timmy and Tukes and it actually worked on them a few times. So I think they're happy to see that it worked in a real situation. Where were you and what was your reaction when the Kachuk-Huberdo trade went down? Uh, I was home. By the time it went down, I think I had just passed out. Actually, I, I knew I knew it was coming about three or four hours earlier, and we okay. know, start, got started working on uh, the creative and all the stuff we needed on the back end to uh, to show our appreciation. But uh, yeah, I probably fell asleep. That, that went through like late, late. Yeah, I get up. I, I got two kids. I get up at like four thirty every day, so I, I can't stay up that, that late. Now, from a marketing perspective, if you look at the history of the Florida Panthers, many people connect the Panthers and rats. And Matthew Kachuk, in a good way, is considered one of the best rats in the NHL. Will we see a Kachuk rat uh, honorary night this year uh, for marketing? Yeah, probably not. Uh, probably not. I like where, I like your heads up. I, I'm not in charge of marketing anymore, though, so I don't have to worry about it. Okay. Uh, Sean, thanks so much uh, for this uh, continued success. Uh, uh, we'll follow your career. I'm very intrigued just because we don't see many, as Frank alluded to. There's not many ex-NHLers that go the, the chief revenue officer uh, way, and uh, hopefully the book continues to sell. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the support, guys. That was Sean Thornton, the chief revenue officer. For the Florida Panthers, two-time Stanley Cup winner and an author. I recommend you get the book, Fighting uh, uh, My Way to the Top. Uh, really good, honest book, man. And and this is, if you're a fan of, of course, you know, Boston, Florida, Anaheim, where he played in the NHL, yes. But uh, also, you know, in the minors, a uh, guy played over 600 games in the AHL. Some unique uh, AHL stories uh, along the way. And, and some really interesting quotes from his teammates at both the AHL and NHL level. And, you know, Sean said in that interview, Frank, when he wrote his book, he wanted to get, you know, voices from other people. And there's, you know, Sedano Chara, Patrice Bergeron, Marshawn, and Lucic, and then lots of American League guys and players around the league. It's, you know, Brooks Orpik, 
Um, because of course that situation with Orpik and, and Thornton, and he talks about that in the book as well. So I, I don't like to give away too much because then people don't read the book, but I, I'd recommend the book. It was pretty good. If you're a hockey, uh, if you're a hockey book reader, you'll like the book. I could have talked to him about the steel mill for a half hour. Like I, yeah. I would have wanted to know so much more about that. Um, I guess, I don't know. I, I identify a, a little bit with that. My family's in the construction world. And so growing up in high school, that's that's what I did. I worked in manual labor and construction. And so my brother still works there. My dad works there. Um, I don't know. I guess I could understand or identify like, Hey, you could go talk and write about hockey or you can work in construction. And it's kind of an easy choice for me. Yeah, there you go. So uh, we appreciate uh, Sean coming on. Frank, uh, we'll get to, to the uh, weekend. And then uh, when we come back, uh, we'll have an NH- current NHL player as our special guest next week. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.